Well, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad that you're here for this weekend and want to extend a huge welcome to all of those at our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we just give them a huge welcome? Glad that you're part of The Crossing family with us. Well, Easter is just two weeks away and we need your help. We are expecting thousands of people on both of our campuses and hundreds of people who will be coming for the first time. And we want every single person to have a great experience. And so here's my ask, is that you would attend one and serve one. That you would pick a service that you can attend with your family, invite a friend to come with you, and that you would stay and serve at another service. And we have three critical roles where you can serve at. You can serve in our guest services. This is our ushers, greeters, servers, our parking lot, our Reach Cafe, um, our kids crossing. We'll have over a 1,000 kids on that day, and we want them to have a great experience as well. And then in our facilities, that we need people who can help turn this room over as uh, one group is leaving and another is coming. And so if you are able to do that, that would be a huge help to us and a way to serve those who are coming. And you can sign up out in the lobby and get all the info for that. And then here's the second thing, is I want to pray for your friends. That if you have somebody that you're wanting to invite to an Easter service, I want to pray with you for them. And you can send their name to pray at thecrossinglv.com. And uh, you can send me this their first name or their first and last name. And I will be praying specifically for your friends along with you as I'm preparing for my Easter message. And so just excited to be able to partner with you in that. Well, some of you probably know what these three letters stand for, D-T-R. Now, if you're a young guy, these three letters can bring fear into you in any relationship because this stands for define the relationship. Define the relationship. This is the official talk in every single relationship where you begin to determine the level of commitment. That you begin to have that talk, are you interested in one another? Or are you just going to be friends? Is this going somewhere or is this dead before arrival? Now, there are some girls who like to have the DTR talk on their very first date. And if there's any girl who wants to start talking about marriage on the very first date, that's just a good sign for you to run. You need to get out of there. (laughs) Darla and I, we started dating when I was 15 years old. And we started talking on the phone every day that we wanted to be with each other all the time. We would go out to dinner and we would go to the movies, but we kept telling everybody that we were just friends. We're just friends with one another. We were both scared to have the DTR, so we completely avoided it. Well, after about three months, Darla's sister started having the DTR about our relationship. And her sister started asking Darla, she said, Do you guys go to the movies by yourself or with a group? She says, well, by ourselves. Does he pay or do you pay? Well, well, he pays. Do you feel like you want to talk to him every day? She said, "I, I really do. Does he hold your hand? Yes. Has he kissed you yet? None of your business. Her sister said, you guys are dating. You are dating. That's the DTR. You got to define the relationship. Well, Jesus would encounter people. And he would have the DTR. He would begin to define their relationship with God. 
He would begin to ask them questions and challenge them on their misconceptions about God. Because every single one of us have to come to the point where we define our relationship with him. Well, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10 today. Because we're in week three of our series called Crucial Conversations. Where Jesus would meet people on their turf. And he would have these crucial, significant conversations. These spiritual conversations that had the potential of changing their life. Well, today, Jesus has a crucial conversation with a rich guy. We know this story is the rich young ruler, that he is young, he's wealthy. I always envision him as being single. Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but he's also powerful. The gospel of Luke tells us that he is a ruler of some sort. He is some powerful person. So here's this young, rich, powerful guy who comes to Jesus, and Jesus has this crucial conversation and begins to address the wall that is between him and God. So we're going to start the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, this is not a bad question. What do I have to do to get to heaven? But this was actually a very common question. For centuries, the Jews would travel to Jerusalem and they would go to the temple and they would ask the priest this same question. They would say, how do I enter or share an eternal life? And the priest would remind them that you keep God's commands. You keep the commandments. My guess is for this guy, this isn't the first time he's asked this question. He's probably asked this question every single year as he approaches these different priests and teachers and asks this question. And he says to to Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this could also be translated to acquire or earn. So here's this ambitious young guy. He's used to acquiring more things, to earning more things. What do I need to do so I can checkmark this off of my list? And here's how Jesus answered. It says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus answers the unasked question. Why do you call me good? This word good that he uses doesn't mean that he just thinks that Jesus is a good teacher. The word that he uses means that he thinks that Jesus is a good man. And Jesus says, no one is good. How you're referring to me, nobody is good except God alone. So are you calling me God? Jesus is probing what's at the heart of this issue, at the core of this issue. And although this guy asks this common question, Jesus focuses on how he addresses Jesus. Because this guy recognizes there is something different about Jesus than anybody else he's ever encountered. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. See, Jesus gives him the answer that would have been familiar. It's like, you know the answer to this question. You know the commands. And then Jesus begins to list some of the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting because Jesus mentions the ones 
that have to do with the outward appearance. These are the ones that he could say, well, I've never done that, and I've never done that, and I've never done that. And Jesus leaves out the ones that deal with the heart because Jesus is going to deal with his heart in a different way in just a minute. And this guy goes, I know that answer. I've kept all the commandments. I think what he's asking here is I've done all that. Since I'm a boy, I was done all of that. I want more, Jesus. There's got to be something more to this. What do you have for me? It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, this word loved right here, it's a form of the word agape. Agape love is this unconditional love. But the tense, the verb tense of this word that he uses actually means that there is no beginning or end to his love. So what he's saying is Jesus isn't going to love him if he gives the right answer and be angry at him if he gives the wrong answer. This is what some of you think about God. This is what some of you think about Jesus. You think that if you do all the right things, then Jesus will love you. But when you make mistakes, he must be angry at you. That's not the case. Jesus just loves you. Jesus just loved this guy. It says, as Jesus looked at him and loved him, it says, one thing that you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Because you remember, he asked this question, how do I get eternal life? How do I get to heaven? Jesus says, you want to know how to have treasure in heaven? You do this. Then you come follow me. You come follow me. Now this right here, I mean, this is a hard teaching. And he probably didn't need to get his scroll out and go, okay, Jesus, say that really slowly because I want to write this down. I want to get it just right. Probably didn't need to say any of that. See, this is not what Jesus told everyone. This is different than what Jesus told everyone. This was not a blanket statement to everyone that if you want to follow me, you must sell everything you have first. And Jesus didn't even say this to other rich guys because Jesus encountered other rich guys and didn't tell them to sell all of their stuff. But Jesus is after this guy's heart, not his money. It says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This word great wealth right here, other translations translate this much property. The literal translation is property or land or estates. This guy may have had numerous estates. The thought of going and selling his properties and his houses and his vineyards, it was just too much to swallow. So he walked away. You remember how this story began? The story began at this guy running to Jesus and falling on his knees before Jesus. And now he walks away, sad, literally grieving. He looks at the Son of God and says, no, thank you. Now, this is the only time recorded in the Gospels that Jesus specifically calls someone to follow him, and they rejected that call. They chose not to follow It's the only time. This guy chose not to follow Jesus. It's the only time recorded in Scripture where that happens. This tells you the power of wealth that can pull us away from a relationship with Jesus. What ends like this, it says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. The reason they were amazed is because they'd always been taught that the rich were the ones who got into heaven because they were closest to God. That's the reason they were rich. 
But he was amazed. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says it twice. He says this twice, how hard it is for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of opinions on what this means right here, about it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. I hear some commentators that as I was reading them, they said that maybe there was this gate that was called the eye of a needle and a, and a camel had to get on its knees and kind of crawl through. I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I just think it's hard. I, I think it's just hard for those who have a lot of wealth to come to Jesus. And Jesus addresses the number one competitor of your heart and my heart. It's money. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that you will either serve God, that you cannot serve both God and money. That literally you can't serve both God and your stuff. Jesus clearly taught that the chief competitor for your heart is not Satan. It is not sin. The chief competitor for your heart is your stuff or your desire for stuff. With this rich guy, Jesus isn't making it hard for him to follow Jesus. This is so important. Jesus is not making it hard for him to follow Jesus. Jesus is making it possible for him to follow Jesus. Because this is the only condition for this man. Jesus just makes it very clear that nothing can compete with him. Unless you get rid of the thing that you've built your life around, you can't follow Jesus. Because following Jesus means total surrender. See, you may be this guy in the story. Many times when I read scripture, I try to figure out where I am in this story. Which character is me? Who am I most like? For some of you, you may be this guy. You may be the one in this story. And for Jesus, the primary issue regarding money isn't money. It's ownership. It is ownership. And see, here's the big question we have to ask today is this, is do we own money or does money own us? Do you own money or does money own you? See, the call is not to give up your nice car and to drive a clunker. Although some of you may need to do that because you are slave to a lease payment that you cannot afford. So maybe for some of you, you need to do that. But Jesus is offering more. Because the truth is, money is the chief competitor for a heart. Here's the way Jesus said it in Luke chapter 12. It says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions. But we think it does. At least this is how we live our life. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. See, greed is just simply this. It is the selfish obsession with getting more. It is the selfish obsession. It's all about me. You see, greed says, if it's placed in my hands, it's for me. If it's part of my paycheck, it's for me. If it's in my bank account, it's for me. If it's part of my inheritance, it's for me. And although this guy in our story was rich, greed has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have. Because you can be poor and greedy, just as easily as you can be rich and greedy. And my guess is none of you would probably consider yourself poor or rich. You're somewhere in the middle. And you can be 
right there in the middle and be greedy. Greedy, Greed is the assumption that it's all there for me. But if I choose out of the compassion of my heart to to share a little bit of this, I mean, it's like we want God's attention. We just hope God's not distracted. God, I'm going to slow down. Because I want, to, I want you to see, I'm getting a $5 bill. I just want you to see this, God, here. I, I don't want you to miss it because I'm going to give a little bit away. Because it's this assumption that it's all there for us. See, when we live that way, you're living as if there's no God. You are, you're living as if all of there is to this life is this life. You're living as if the way that Solomon says it, that you just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. But there is something in us that knows that there is more to this life. Do you know what we do when we're in a financial crisis? This doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. We pray. We begin to pray, God, you haven't heard me. You haven't heard from me in a long time. And God, if you answer this prayer, you won't hear from me again. But I need your help. And here's what we're saying, dear God, I would like to invite you into my finances. God, I'm inviting you into this part of my life. So when we pray that prayer, it's this invitation for God to get involved with our money. Here's my question. If you think that you would pray and invite God into your finances when there's a problem, why wouldn't you go ahead and do that before there's a problem? Why wouldn't you surrender this part of your life to God now? See, the problem with this guy in our story was not money. It was the priority of his money. It was the fact that his money was more important than anything else. And for us, it is the same issue. It is the priority of our money. See, here's the priority of our money. It's right here is is we spend and save and give. That we live our life and we spend all of our money on ourselves And then if our work has a retirement plan, then we save a little bit. And then if there's anything left over, or if our heart goes out for somebody who's in a flood or an earthquake or a hurricane, then we might give a little bit over there if there's anything left over. See, when you begin to look at this priority right here, what this is saying is saying me first, me second, and everyone else, including God, is last if I have anything left over. And Jesus comes along and he says, if you want to break the chains of greed in your life, then this list has to get flipped upside down. That we begin to give first, we save second, and then we live on the rest. We give to God first, we save, and then we can spend as as we want to spend. And let me tell you right here, this is not only life-changing, this works. I'm telling you, this works. It is, it's unexplainable how God gets involved in our finances when we begin to flip our priorities upside down. And you need to know, this is not about me. This is not about this church. This is what it means to follow Jesus. I have three kids, and when they got old enough to get an allowance, we wanted to teach this priority to them. And so we put these three jars together, and we just labeled them offering, savings, and spending. And whenever they got allowance, the first 10%, we put 10% in offering. 
We put 10% in savings, and then they had the rest for spending. And depending on which kid it was, some of them spent the money before it even made it into that jar. We didn't, we didn't even need to put it in there. Let's just go, and we'll go buy something. Why did we do this? Why was this a priority that the first thing that we do is we give back to God? Why did we do that? Was it because that I wanted the church to get their money? Well, no, I could have just gone and taken their money at any point. I could have just opened their jar and just taken it all. Was it because the church needed their money? Well, their dollar twenty-five was not going to push it forward for us. I mean, it was not critical that we had that dollar twenty-five, or we were going to have to shut the doors. You know, it just wasn't about that. It's because this right here is the key to financial freedom. It's the key to financial freedom. Generosity is the way that you break the stranglehold of greed. And I believe it's the way that you invite God into your financial world. I was listening to Dave Ramsey this week, and someone called in, and they had this great question. They said, do I wait to get out of debt before I start to give? And Dave Ramsey, I, I, I began to turn it up because I wanted to listen to what he was going to say. Because this is a national radio show. Millions of people listen to this, and millions of people who are not Christians listen to this. And Dave Ramsey goes, let me tell you how I give advice. He says, I give advice on what I would do if I were in your situation. And he said, for me, he said, I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, you may not be. So this may not be what you, what you do. He says, I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, I believe that we give to God first. God did not create my financial mess. And so by putting him first, I'm inviting him in to my finances. I just thought, wow, because that's exactly the truth. That's exactly the way it is. My kids are all adults now. Um, I have a pastor, a teacher, and a social worker. It sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? You know, the pastor, teacher, and social worker went into a bar together. Well, well here's this thing about those jobs. that Those jobs of my kids, they will never get rich in those jobs. They will make a decent salary, that if they budget their money well, they'll be able to pay all of their bills, but none of those jobs are known for high pay. But all three of my kids tithe to the local church. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. We'll go, well, of course they do, because you're the pastor, and they have to. It just doesn't work like that. They're adults. They can do what they want with their money. When my daughters graduated from college and they got their first jobs, I sat down and I just helped them put together their first budget. I said, you've never had this much money come into your hands before. So let's budget it on everything that you want to do with your money and all the things that, that you would like to put into place. And I, we came to this area right here. We didn't have a jar anymore, but we came to this area of the offering. And I said, what do you want to give in the offering? And they looked at me like... I was either crazy or I was trying to trick them. And they go, well, what do you mean, what do I want to give in the offering? I said, you're an adult. You make a salary now. You need to decide what you're going to give to God. And they go, well, I mean, 10%. We tithe our money. And I said, listen, you don't need to do this for me. This is now your decision. I am not going to... You know, I'm not going to look at your finances and see if you're doing this. I'm not going to push you one way or the other. This has to come from your heart. And they just go, well, we're going to give a, what God has given us. We're going to give the first back to him. Now, let me just call a timeout here for a minute. Because whenever I tell stories of my kids, I always ask their permission first. 
Um, I always ask their permission that I can tell a story about them because I don't want it to ever feel weird for them. I did not ask their permission this week, so they did not know I was going to say this. Because, you know, the whole thing is weird. Because, number one, I didn't ask them because I didn't want them to tell me no. You know, no, you can't tell this story about me. So it's just easier just not to ask them. And number two, it's just weird for people to know what you give. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to put that pressure on them. I don't want to put that pressure on them to have to make this decision. And so please don't talk to them about that decision either. That's just weird. You know, when you go to, oh, you're tithing. You know, please, that's just weird for them. It's weird enough being my kid, but, you know, that, that's weird as well. See, here was my desire. Here, here was Darla's and my desire. We wanted them to own some stuff. We did not want their stuff to own them. This guy in our story, his stuff owned him. And when you put God first, you're saying, God, I'm inviting you in to my finances. See, here's the way Jesus said it in Luke chapter 16. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, this isn't about the amount of money. This is all about trust. This is what Jesus is saying. This is all about trust. If you can be trusted when you have a little bit of money, then you can be trusted when you have a great deal of money. But if you're dishonest with the little, you'll be dishonest with the much. See, God is looking for who he can trust with his resources. And when we begin to put God first, we are saying, God, you can trust me with more. Well, I was thinking about this series and just this whole idea of these crucial conversations. And I just believe that Jesus has these crucial conversations with us all the time, that he speaks into our life and he meets us right where we are. It's one of the things that I pray for you every single weekend, that on Sunday morning, I'm praying that God would meet you right where you are, regardless of what we're talking about. God would meet you at your place of need. That's what I pray for you. I just believe these conversations that God speaks into us, this conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler, it was not about money. It was about his heart. Listen, God is not after your money. God is after your heart. And one of the reasons why we stop passing the bags and we just have offering boxes in the back is because big churches get this reputation of they're, they're only after people's money. And we wanted to take this off the table. Instead of feeling like we were taking your money, we wanted you to be intentional about giving your money. Because ultimately, this is a discipleship issue. That we've trusted God with our eternal salvation, but sometimes we don't trust him with our money. Listen, I know how this sounds. I know how this sounds coming from a pastor, but it as a pastor, I have the responsibility to teach you all of what God's word says. And I can't choose to not teach you a portion of scripture that just feels uncomfortable. I have to teach it all to you. And I think the majority of us want to honor God with our resources. We're just afraid. And we say to God, God, can I trust you with my money? And I think God is saying back to us, can I trust you with my money? See, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. 
What if you just flipped that priority list upside down? What if you just put God first, said God's coming first in everything that I do? And God's going to come first financially. See, what the Bible talks about is the Bible talks about a tithe, about giving 10% back to God. But listen, see, God does not measure generosity by an amount. He measures generosity by a percentage. Here's my encouragement to you. You pick a percentage. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere giving back to God. Because the only way to break the stranglehold of greed is through generosity. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you. And here's what I want you to pray about. I want you to begin to pray, God, help me to realize whatever part of my life, it doesn't matter whether it's money, it doesn't, whatever part of my life that's not surrendered to you, God, I surrender that to you. Whatever part of your life, and you give that to God. Let's just pray together. God, we thank you for this story that you've preserved for us. God, in knowing that this rich young guy in this story He was the only one in recorded scripture that did not follow when Jesus offered for him to follow. God, we do not want greed and wealth to have that kind of stranglehold on us. So God, we lay it to your feet, all of it. God, we surrender all of our life. God, thank you for the way you're working in us. Thank you for giving us Jesus, that he died for us. So we pray this in his name. Amen.